Hi everyone and welcome to the Two Men and a Pineapple podcast. My name is Cody. And I'm Michael. And we are two 30-year-old millennials living in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The purpose of this podcast is to identify, deconstruct, and discuss the life events facing millennials. Each podcast episode will focus on one to two topics and present them in the form of what I wish I knew. We will share our own experiences, as well as the tips, tricks, and secrets we've learned along the way, which will hopefully encourage you to think, reflect, and discuss these topics amongst yourselves, your friends, and family. This podcast will be successful if it helps you to be able to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Hey everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of Two Men and a Pineapple. Today's episode will focus on answering the question, what I wish I knew about leadership. So Michael, today's podcast topic was your idea. So why did you choose to do it on leadership? So great question. I really wanted to do this one because I think in our time right now, a lot of people don't know how to be proper leaders. They, and I say they as in like everyone, but from my experience, a lot of people that I've come across don't understand that leadership, you don't need to be in a leadership role, right? You don't need to be the manager of a company. You could, could be a receptionist. You could be a cashier at a grocery store, but you can show leadership. You can be a leader, right? And I think that gets lost. And so that's really why I wanted to do this. I find that I'm answering or looking at that question all the time, being like, why am I the only one that's communicating and we'll go into that stuff but why am I the only one right do people know that they can be leaders at any position or any spot in their life so I was really passionate about this one so today's so today's podcast is maybe going to open up some of our listeners sense of themselves as leaders maybe if they don't even consider themselves leaders and it's also going to maybe I guess help people out on how to develop leadership skills so that they can be Become leaders or become better leaders? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I think, yeah, 100%. I totally agree. My hope is that if someone listens to this at the end of it, they can take one or two actionable items from this to, you know, bring out the leader in them. Right? Cool. Let's get started. So I want to start with the definition. I have to get this, but the definition of what leadership, what leadership is. So... They define it as the action of leading a group of people or an organization. So simple. Um, yeah, just a, such, such a simple definition. I'm kind of glad I, I looked that up because that's really the core foundation of what leadership is, right? Organize and, you know, uh, or sorry, lead an organization or pe- a group of people. And, you know, I've been reading a, a lot re- recently and it's kind of solidified a lot of what I've thought and maybe organize my, my thoughts a little bit more, and that's why I wanted to do this. So I'll put it back on you a little bit. What, what do you think uh, leadership is or what a leader is? So after listening to the definition of leadership, which you just read, <clears throat> what jumped out to me was someone is leading a group of people to some type of end goal. So to me, I think that end goal is very important and it needs to be defined and understood by each person of the team. If you don't have a goal and it's not communicated to everyone and everyone's on board, I think 
that is not good leadership. Yeah. Podcast done. That was it. That was everything I had to say. You summed it up really nicely. No, that's perfect. I think, you know, I have so many things I want to go over here, and, and maybe it won't be as organized as I want it to be, but I think it's great to have this fluid discussion. But you're totally right. If if me as the CEO of a company or the um, the person in charge, we're in the medical field, so maybe it'll be a little bit uh, easier for us to explain that way. But let's say I'm I'm an athletic therapist by trade, and with, and I do emergency situations all the time. And I get to an emergency situation, maybe you're a paramedic, a doctor, and you're looking for someone in charge, right? <clears throat> or you're the person in charge. It is vital that everyone knows their job um, and job meaning what they need to do. They understand the, their role inside and out, and they understand the end point, what you talked about uh, as well. Because if you're running into an emergency situation, that person's life that is in you know, uh, chaos or, or whatnot, um, depends on one person's leadership skills. Because if they don't and everything, you know, for lack of a better term, shit hits the fan, it's not your problem. It ends up being the patients on the ground. They're going to die because you guys weren't organized. Someone didn't lead you to do all these things. Everyone knows their job, but can they effectively do it in a timely manner or in an organized manner where you save life, right? A CEO, the same thing. He is at the very top of the business. <clears throat> and if the vision, I don't know, let's make up a vision. The vision of a, a company is to increase sales, right? So broad. So for me, I'm the ground person. I'm working hard getting, getting these sales. And I think, okay, well, the vision is get more sales. All right, I kind of understand that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip this guy off. I'm going to charge that guy too much. I'm going to slice from my, my buddy beside me, my sales guy beside me, I'm going to steal from this place, I'll get my sales, because that's the vision of the company, get more sales, right? It's not clearly defined. I don't understand my role, how we're going to push this company forward in a positive way, right? So just to reiterate what you went through, it's a leader can affect what, like a group of people in a very, very positive manner where you save a life or, you know, build a company or, you know, push a new idea or innovate and things like that. So. Yeah, but a leader, we'll talk about it. A leader could be inside your company as well, or inside your group of people as well. And how you break that down, those little subgroups as well. So in a company, for example, you can even have a leader that may be lower down on the income scale or the task, the importance of a task scale. Maybe they're not doing the most important thing for the business for your goal but in terms of their leadership over the workforce of their team they can have a much bigger impact on the company that way than say the CEO or manager yeah. I think it's pretty cool yeah so <clears throat> you know this podcast is all about what I wish I knew right if your boss gave you a clear end goal of what he wanted from you how to get there uh, how he was supporting you, how he trusted you, all of these different things. Do you think you would propel that company forward? Like personally, you think, you know, I'm going to make them more money. I'm going to be happy doing it because I feel trusted. I feel a part of my, my um, you know, organization. I'm, I'm valued, right? Hell yeah. I think you're in, what would your answer be? Mine would be, yeah. So now we're talking about, so now we're talking about culture. 
Yeah, so a little bit of culture, but leadership builds culture, right? If I'm a proper leader and I, you know, ooze confidence in my ability to trust the person to the left, trust the person to the right of me, right? Give them their um, independence and, and trust them and value them, then they're going to give me that back in tenfold, right? And what culture does that build? Okay, well, I'm giving these guys the the room to grow and the room to um, expand their knowledge and, and risk a little bit because I'll mitigate that risk. I'll be the person taking that bullet at the end of the day, but I'll let you do that because I trust you. I trust your ideas. But what are you going to do? What is that guy going to do to his employees? Well, he's going to give them the same space, right? And so the leadership that I gave to you or that, that um, confidence I gave and instilled in you will now be dripped through the entire organization so it builds that culture of an organization right mm -hmm. so we're talking if there's good leadership there's good culture are you more likely to buy into your end goal and towards helping your team yeah what you're asking well the job of a leader or the job of a recruiter someone does the hiring process someone's going to bring someone in to join your team or to join your purpose I think you have to ask the individual that you're hiring and that you're bringing on onto your team, how do they define success, right? So you can have the best culture and you can be the best leader. But if you're going towards an end goal that doesn't equate to success for that person, is that person really going to give you 100%? So let me so, break this down. Okay. <clears throat> so there's three types of success, right? There is sales success. That's kind of what you touched on earlier, right? You want to sell the most product. You're going to you want to bring in the most revenue, right? You set a, a goal for yourself of, you know, I want to bring in X dollars a month. If you reach that, you are, you have achieved sales success, but not everybody's driven by that, right? Another type of success would be social success. And that would be, you're doing such an admirable job. People are talking about you. People are writing articles about you. People in your profession know about you. Right, you are you are well known by lots of people. You are a social success. Some people don't care about that whatsoever. And then the last type of success would be self success. That's something only that you know if you achieve it. It's some goal that you may have for yourself, but and no one else in the world could have that for themselves. And no one knows what it is, just you. So only you know if you achieve it. So if I'm hiring you for a job, let's say, and the goal is I want to grow my company, I want to grow revenue. 10% each year over the next five years, right? That's my only goal, so that's sales success, right? Let's say I wanna bring you in, and let's just say, I've heard about you from my colleagues. Everyone talks about you, like you're well-known, you're well-respected, you do good work, you do research, um, you have great patient interaction, right? You're ideal on paper. I don't wanna hire you, and I said, come on over to my business here. We have a great culture. Everyone respects each other, everyone trusts each other, everyone helps everyone work and perform the best as possible. We're gonna make you so much money. We're gonna we're gonna shift revenues. Uh, we're just gonna groundbreak and you know be at the top of this industry. That sounds pretty exciting, everything I'm pitching to you. But you are driven by still success. That revenue doesn't mean anything to you. Right? Um, I'm basing my hiring on you based on your social success. Right? Everyone knows you. Right, you're very popular, very good at what you do. But what drives you is that self-success. 
right? And I don't even know what that could be. Your self-success could be, I know that at the end of each work week, I feel happy. And that could be getting, you know, 50% of your sales target that can make you happy. Um, so bringing you into this group, bringing you into this role, if our goals aren't the same, I don't think you're going to be effective in that role. And I also think that would be a poor leader who doesn't check in what your goal is, what makes you happy, what makes you check on a day-to-day -day basis. You could be, again, you could be doing great work, but if our goals don't align and what drives us don't align, I don't think that's a good fit. And I think that's poor leadership. That was a very long rant. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? So there's tons to unpack on that. So I think that example that you gave is great. Like, because a lot of people define work with success, right? Like, and those three different types that you mentioned. So again, there's a lot to unpack and we'll go through each one. So um, communication. So uh, let's pretend I'm the, the person hiring you. I'm the leader in this, in this scenario. My communication to you needs to be concise, needs to be clear, and needs to be transparent. So I tell you, everyone knows you. Everyone thinks you're doing a fantastic job. Anyone I talk to brings you up when we talk about this type of product. Why? You tell me, oh, you know what? I, I just love my customers. You know, at the end of the day, the fact that I know I help somebody, perfect. That's it. I've just now defined one of your successes, right? Perfect. Great. Now, because I'm leader, and I'm being clear, concise, and I'm being transparent, I can say, okay, listen, our company really needs to push sales. We're under the gun, and we're doing terrible this quarter. We need to bump it up. So do you think you could fit, or how do you, how could, what could I do to make sure that you are the most successful in this position? What does it look, look like for you if you're going to tackle this goal that I put out? You say, you know what, honestly, if I can just go home and I'm happy, perfect. So you know what, as a leader, I'm going to give you every single one of my customers that is just energetically crazy because they're going to match with you, right? All the hard cases, maybe all the hard cases I give to someone else, maybe all the other cases that don't align with your goal, I give to someone else. I find someone else that loves those things, right? And I just pack it on because every day you're talking to energetic people, you're engaging with a lot, and at the end of the day, you feel happy because you've, you've made a difference in those people's lives. So that's on me. I have to take ownership of that. And that came from being clear with my communication. And that goes both ways, both streets. And if you don't know your communication, like, let's say, and this happens all the time, and I learned this from personal experience from the jobs that I've been at, and just these switches that I had to flip in order to realize, but if I'm talking to you and you're not communicating back to me, that means either my transparency to you is too much or too little. What does that mean? <clears throat> well, I'm the CEO and I'm talking to my CFO. So CEO is the, the top dog, the president. The CFO is the financial top dog, right, of the company. I got to give them every little detail. I got to tell them all the numbers, but I'm being transparent with them because I have to make sure he understands and that it's clear and concise. But when that information goes from the CFO to the manager below, let's say it's like an executive manager, he doesn't need to give them all the detail. He gives them just the pertinent information. And that manager 
gives just the pertinent information to the next person. And by the time you get down to the person at the very bottom that you just hired, you know what they're getting? A uh, one-line sentence of exactly what needs to be done. But every time they report to a higher-up, that information gets more expanded, more expanded to the detail that I would know it as the top dog. So when we're talking about this transparency of communication, let's say we're doing this hiring, let's just run on this uh, metaphor that we're talking about. We're doing this new hire, right? And I'm talking, I'm, like, I'm telling you like, you know, we need 9% by the end of this quarter and in 45 days we need to have half of our sales goal. And you're like, I can just tell you, you're just like, what the hell? I can't, I don't understand that's too much information. You're being very communicative, like you're communicating very well, but you're being too transparent. You're giving them all the info, right? So break it down to what the least common denominator is. You need to increase sales, period. Doesn't matter about how much, doesn't matter by, you know, what amount of dollars or whatever. You just need to increase it. And then I need to figure out as a leader how you best work in my system, not the other way around. Because then at that point, you don't know what my goal is and the whole system breaks down. And it can start from the very bottom or start from the very top. Comes all the time. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the characteristics of a good leader. You talked about in terms of delivering a message or a goal. You need to be clear, concise, <laughs> and transparent. So what, what makes a good leader? What characteristics? <clears throat> there's so many. I, well, I think there's so many. Um, so I wrote some down uh, because there, there's such a long list. But So you have to be, uh, again, this is my opinion when I was writing this down, um, confident. You have to be humble. You need to be competitive, like a little bit of edge to you. Uh, you need attentive. You need to have a type of endurance to you. And I mean that in a way like your personality. So you, you can get bit off by one person, but be calm to another when you need it, right? Um, and then you need to be accountable and you need to have ownership over everything you do. So like those things put together, you can teach anyone that. Some people might be better at communicating, so it just helps them become a leader. But I think those are some of the qualities or characteristics that makes up a good leader or has good leadership in it. Give an example of a good leader. Myself? No, I'm kidding. Um, I would say a good leader. I can give you an example of a bad leader. Okay, who's a bad leader? <laughs> um, and why? So one of my old bosses, bad leader. They were a bad leader because they were overconfident, right? So everything they did was gold. That's not a good quality of a leader, right? They were um, not humble whatsoever. So everything they, everything I did for them, that's what he did for him, right? He um, not attentive at all. I had an idea. I had an increase. You know, or how to change up our treatment, didn't want to hear it. It's like, no, don't care. The system we got going now is pumping people out. Perfect. Let's just keep that going. Although maybe better treatment would be more applicable to these people and they would get better and stay better, right? Um, it didn't take ownership over anything, right? If a problem happened, it wasn't my fault. That's what he was like, no, 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 no. Point a finger, point a finger, point a finger. Whose fault was it? And we're all being attacked. So 
at the end of the day, when I looked at my place in this business, it's just me on an island. That's it. I'm going to clock in, clock out. Don't give a shit. Sorry for my language. I want to pick up my paycheck and go. I don't want to put this business on the map. I don't want, I am just here for my patients. That's as much caring as I'm going to get. Anything beyond that boundary, don't talk to me. Because I don't know what's going on. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable in this, in this working environment, right? And so if I don't feel safe or comfortable, my little safety circle is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller until the only people I'm holding on to are the person that walks through that door, my patient, and my paycheck that gets put in my hand. That's it, right? And that, that's not, that is all from the leader. And we'll talk about how you can be a leader inside of an organization like this that I'm talking about um, when there's already a leader or CEO or, or boss that you already have and to better up your um, working environment. But that would be an example of a bad leader. I think, I'm sure as we talk, I'll think of a, an example of a good leader, but and there are many, 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 but just not coming to my mind right now. Do you think leadership is going to change with this shift from going to work and working in person with your colleagues and your managers and bosses, now changing from working from home, especially with COVID and after COVID? You know, these companies that are just getting rid of their, their real estate and their leases and they're just telling everyone to work from home. I do you think leadership is going to change with this working from home. My God, it's going to be a very dynamic shift. So... Part of being a leader, um, like let's call them managers. Maybe that's going to stick with our listeners a little bit better. But like part of being a manager or having this type of leadership role is communicating, right? Like that's your lifeline, right? Your, your ability to talk to someone is your lifeline because that's how you show you're a leader. That's how you uh, engage with your employees, right? Or your friends, family, what it doesn't matter. Um, so it's going to be a dynamic shift. Because I can no longer get up, walk to an office and say, hey, Joe, I think that, you know, whatever portfolio you sent me could be touched up a little bit. Or how can I help you to make that better? Right? It doesn't, it's not going to, it's not going to go well over, blah, blah, blah. Like, it doesn't matter. But I can't get up and do that. I got to email it. And what happens when I email? Hey, Joe, that portfolio did a shit. Or like, that portfolio won't hold up against you know, all these other things. That can be taken how many different ways? Exactly. There's no tone and there's no, it's not personable mm -hmm. when you read an email or a text. So maybe Zoom will take 90% of that communication will give us it, I assume, but like video conferencing will give us some of that back because we can see uh, facial expressions, you know, gauge someone's uh, kind of emotions while we're talking to them. But I think the actual in-person uh, scenario is the best. Maybe video conferencing might mitigate some of that. Um, but again, most companies won't have that. They, they probably can't afford that, so they'll just do email. They're like, don't worry, just emails, right? That's not going to go well. And the shame with that is, you know, you learn from your colleagues by seeing what they do. It's the little things, right? Mm -hmm. How they carry themselves, how they speak, their tonality. You know, we're not get that being at home alone, just reading an email. And sorry to interrupt, but I'm reading this really interesting book called The Age of Average, or The End of Average. 
And it's all about, it applies to this scenario, but it's all about how we as individuals have been grouped into an average, right? So our GPA is blah, 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 average, right? So, but when you are being a leader, I can't lead a group of people and consider them all the same at one thing, right? So I can't say, you know, Cody, you are fantastic at emails, like replying to emails. That means everybody in my group is fantastic, right? And that's what we will assume when we stop doing this in-person communication because we don't know. You don't get that sense from each person, right? What if it takes someone a little bit longer to, to gather their ideas before they tell you? It's not going to, you're not going to see that over email. So it's a really interesting book, this one. I suggest everyone reads it, but. Uh, Who's the author of that? Uh, so the author is Todd Rose. He is a interesting story. So complete dropout high school. This is a tangent. Complete uh, high school dropout. And uh, ends up working at uh, Harvard, like the Harvard University for something. But um, he was really just in a mess of the system. The mess of the system. So you had to do your SATs. You had to do whatever, like all these other standardized tests. And he didn't perform well on standardized tests. And he was kind of questioning why that was. It was actually <clears throat> because some psychologist back in the day, like 1800s, wanted to make a name for himself, and Isaac Newton made a law of whatever, I don't know, what was it that he did, physics? So he had laws for physics, and this dude was like, shit, someone already took my fame, how am I going to figure this out? So he made laws for, for social uh, physics, they called it social physics back then, and what he did was he said, okay, 10 people have, you know, or sorry, everyone has apples, but the average amount of apples they have is five, perfect, this is like now called the average. And so that he made averages for people. He made all these standardized tests. And then people just layered and layered and layered and layered onto the system until education is now all uh, standardized. Businesses are standardized. Everything has been standardized where really it should have been individualized for each person. If you look at like the 1800s and before, everything was um, the best craftsman will make your shoes. The best... Um, uh, woodworker would make your home, right? It wasn't get the next person in line, teach them how to hammer a nail, then get the next person to screw in the, the drywall, get the next person to do a plumbing. It wasn't like that. It is like that now. It's all standardized, right? Everyone's got a certain position in their job to do that, like a factory, let's say. Um, so it's very interesting because I can see that how leadership is really trying to just burn holes in this standardized uh, world that we live in right now because trying to be a very individual with each person and now COVID happened, everybody's going back to work. It's just kind of putting a stop to that, a very quick stop to that. Talking about small versus uh, large, like individualization, that do you think it's harder to be a leader or a manager of a larger group than it is a smaller group? Do you think, you, think, you know, managing a certain number of people, there can be a, a number that's too high? Oh, yeah. Do you think dynamic, do you think culture and that changes? If you get too big, like what? Well, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I would say there's probably a number out there, I don't know it, but there's probably a number out there that is too much. After that is too much. If you think about uh, a great example, and it's often overlooked and probably the most debated is classroom sizes, right? Technically, your teacher is a leader, and they're trying to lead all of you into the standardized model. We'll talk about all that 
play maybe on another podcast, but they're technically a leader. Do you think they can manage 30 kids? No way in hell. That's why people drop, quote unquote, drop through the cracks or fall through the cracks because they can't catch everyone. They can't lead everyone. There's too much, right? There are too many individuals in their leadership or under their leadership, I guess. So yeah, there's a number. And I'd probably say the most I'd be comfortable with, five, six. Maybe root. Yeah, okay. Maybe like six to 10. Right, where I can handle them, I say handle, but like I can talk to each one, I understand each one, I can be personable with each one. Um, the goal from there is very clear. Maybe I can manage 12 or sorry, six to 10 people, and then a manager above me manages 10, six to 12 managers, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. I think that's how businesses are built currently, but maybe just too many people. Yeah, that's, that sounds good, Michael. So, really curious. so another thing I wanted to talk about was humility and hum, like humility and leadership. So before I dive into that, I want to get your thoughts. What do you think it means to be uh, just humble or have humility? Right off the top of my head, it would be not toting your successes, but toting your failures. I think talking about your failures is much more important than talking about your successes when you're a leader. Someone is my manager or my mentor or my leader. I know they've done great things because in order to get in that position, right, they've done it, right? You don't got to tell me in my face that you've sold this many things or done this, that, or the other. But if you tell me, Bodhi, this is, this is where we want to go, this is where we want to get to. This is how we're going to try to do it. And the reason we're doing it this way is because I've done it this other way. And I failed terribly. It's taken me years to get to this point. And uh, it was really hard to go through this experience or whatnot. So it's telling me, you know, what's been tried before. So maybe I don't go down that road. Right? And it tells me, it gives me, you know, that they're humble, that they're, they're gracious. Right? They're, they're lucky to be where they are. They've earned it, of course, but there's also ways that they've failed. It makes them more human. It makes you able to connect with someone. I think you connect with someone a lot better when you share failures or when you realize that you know they're on the same level of you, level as you. If you can say that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to take you know the opposite of probably humble and gracious would be like elitist. Mm-hmm. I think that's really in the discussion right now uh, in terms of politics. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. politicians and their elitism. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we're Canadian, so without mentioning names, we think about who's running the country. One set of rules applies to all of us, the commoners, and when he does something the exact opposite, it doesn't matter to him. Yeah. Because he's an elitist, mm-hmm. right? He's a, he's a hypocrite. He can do whatever he wants. And he's the, I think he's the epitome of a terrible leader because mm, okay. what he does, he yeah. can do whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as you do what he says, he doesn't have to do what he says. Yeah. And I think if he was my, my boss at work or if he was my friend, parent, I wouldn't stand for that. Yeah. I wouldn't want nothing to do with that person. Yeah. So. I totally agree. I think uh, politics itself, 
doesn't show great leadership or shows great leadership until up until a point to be like <clears throat> a personal example. And maybe some people listening to this actually know the person, but um, was Michael Thompson was our counselor back way back when we were like teenagers for our community. My mom knew his name. He came by our house, shook our hands. Like we had him over. That's a great leader. Like I asked him, we used to skateboard back in the day and you know, we, I got in trouble by the cops a couple of times and brought home. And my, he was over one day. And he's like, what do I need to do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? I said, build us a skate park. He was like, okay, great. So I, I don't know if you remember the Taste of Lawrence. So we ran fundraisers every single year for the Taste of Lawrence. And we built that skate park, right? That, to me, was a great leader. And I honestly haven't followed his career up until after that because... Really, I'm in high school and university, so it doesn't matter to me at that point. But to me, it was an actionable item he did. He listened, was attentive, was communicating to us that, hey, I've got the money. You guys got to do something about this. And if you get me the money, I can get you this, the skate park, right? So great leader up until that point. Maybe let's, let's pretend his career took off in another direction. I don't know if you were updated with that. But after that certain point, you start playing politics and you stop being a leader. You play to that group of people, to this group of people, right? And then maybe at the end of the, the road, you become elitist, right? Things are below you, right? So, yeah, being, I think being humble and like you said, is, is vital. Being able to be accountable for your mistakes. Like, I have, I should actually use this platform to talk about my, what I wish I knew, right? So when I learned this early on, is that if I own my mistake, I absolutely 100%, 100% take ownership over my mistakes, people don't care that much. And I don't mean like don't care as much as, oh, Michael made another mistake. But they're like, damn, he just admitted to that. And he just gave me a solution of why, like how it happened and how he's going to do better. I think he just learned from that. Because I took ownership of the problem. I remember I was submitting a document and for like Ontario in, or Ontarians, Ontarians, I don't know. Um, if you're going through insurance, you have to have like all these like proper forms filled out and whatnot. And by accident, I submitted a form and the item that the person was purchasing was a thousand dollars and it was a hundred when I put it into the system. That's a big problem for my business, right? I just lost nine hundred dollars. So I was like, oh my God, first thing I did, I was like, that was my fault, right? So I was like, that was, I wasn't paying attention, whatever. I called up the adjuster, I was like, listen, obviously you never get them on the phone because they're never on the phone. Uh, I was like, I made a mistake. I told my boss I made a mistake. Like it was a, it was a big deal because this was, you know, her money essentially. And uh, when I told her, she was like, oh, that's okay. You know, you did all the right things to, to mitigate your, the problem. And if so be it, if it's $900 lost, that's okay. Because I know that you learned from that mistake. It was a costly one, but did I ever make that mistake again? Never, right? That's to me being accountable. You, I'm, if I make that mistake in any way, shape or form, I didn't learn from that. I didn't take enough ownership from that. And I wasn't accountable, all that stuff. And that is, you know, qualities of a leader. Right. And you, and again, I wasn't in, in no way, shape or form in a leadership position at that point. Right. I brought my leadership 
skill to my boss and said, okay, I'm communicating to you all of these things. I'm being humble because I understand that, you know, nothing's above me. I'm not above the law. I'm not above your, your business, right? And then I am taking accountability. I am taking ownership over my problem. And that's going up the chain, right? And I could have done the same thing, went down the chain if I was in a reverse position. So I don't know if you have, if you ever have any examples, just pipe in, but um, what do you think it takes to be, um, or what do you think it takes to be a leader in our time? Because our time is different than, we're talking about like very structured businesses and, and things like that, but like in our very like fluid and moving quickly social media um, time that we're in right now, how do you think, or, yeah, what would it take to be a leader right now? Again, I think it's a very clear, defined goal, purpose, and how you're going to achieve it. Look at any of the you know, mission statements for you know, any big company, Amazon or Facebook, even like drug companies, right? They have a very clear defined objective mission statement and anyone that even works for them, when you read those statements, it just makes you want to give your all for them. You know exactly what you're doing, what you're doing. So I think that's very key. Um, I think there needs to be people like checking in on you. And I think especially if you have a large business, you can hear what the goal is day one. And then let's say no one checks in on you, like six months, a year, two years, yeah. and you're just going about your job, right? At some point, you're going to veer off track, right? You're just going to do it for, this is a job. You're just going to go do your hours. You're just going to go to your paycheck, right? You're going to get off course. But if, you know, you have someone that's talking to you who keeps you focused, right? And that's another part of being a leader too, right? Keep everyone on the same page, right? Um, yeah. So I, I can figure off and so like, you know, everything you say is like really, really good. Um, I think for like in, in some of those instances, main questions people are they're thinking about are like, how do I motivate? I'm, I'm trying to be a leader. How do I motivate my support? I don't know what you want to call them, but. But I think you got to ask what. What would make you happy here? Mm -hmm. right? What is your What is your goal as a person? Right, we're 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 fighting towards a goal as a company. What is your goal as a person? Right, everyone has different goals. Some people love to travel, so you could say, you know what, if if this year goes really well or this project goes well, uh, that that flight you wanted to take to, you know, Barbados, we're gonna pay for that. Wow, that's amazing. Let's say someone else has a personal goal as like, you know, I want to, I want to cycle across Canada. Okay. You know what, if we get this product done, depending on how big your business is, your company is right. We're going to sponsor that for you. Or you're going to get the three weeks off to do that. Right. Three weeks. I don't know. I'm not a cyclist. <laughs> but anyways, let's say you got Lance Armstrong. Pre-doping. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you have to figure out what someone wants in their life and you have to cater like your contract around or 
You know, not everybody is driven by money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. That's another thing too. For anyone out there who's striving to reach a certain income level or, you know, you're switching between jobs or you're looking for raises and that and you're trying to get a certain level of income, you know, that's really an external goal, right? And when you hit those targets, you're just going to set more targets. Like, I don't know. I find income a very unfulfilling goal to have, right? Money mm -hmm. itself, I don't it's just very unfulfilling. Whether, yeah. you, whether you make, you know, $5,000 more a year than you are now. Um, I don't know, in terms of like your life and the grand scheme of things, I don't think that makes that big of a difference in terms of your happiness. Yeah. So I think, especially millennials, I mean, there's so many things that are out of reach for us, like buying a house, mm -hmm. that I think millennials are looking to other things, right? Renting, tra traveling more. Experiences over like buying TVs, buying you know satellite dishes, things like that, things that our parents or grandparents would do. We're all about experiences, so and we're all about education as well. So let's say you're a leader and you're trying to get your team motivated, guys. We're gonna pay for one educational course a year, and you know you're we'll pay for a plane trip to wherever you want to go on vacation, mm -hmm. as opposed to you know giving someone five grand more a year. Maybe that is more going to get someone driven more. Maybe that's a better leader. Yeah, we could give this guy a $5,000 raise or we could give him some educational allowance or we could give him a, you know, a travel allowance or something like yeah, that. Yeah, being like more flexible in what you are able to, to give to others. So, <clears throat> I don't want to go too science on this, but... Why not? Yeah, why not? So, there's two chemicals, well, four chemicals that you release they're like positive i would say or like a fart <laughs> <laughs> no, no no so like your brain will release these but let's talk let's talk about them so dopamine and endorphins those are two um chemicals neurochemicals that your brain you can produce at will whenever you need to mm -hmm. right they feel good chemicals. yeah they feel good chemicals right so dopamine being that happy right like you're on your phone, you hear a, a little notification that might give you a little dopamine kick, right? Mm -hmm. They say that dopamine is highly addictive, right? So it's just like cocaine and all that. That's why you get, um, you know, they hit, up, hit you up with morphine and all that jazz. I don't know. That's, that's why you get addicted because yeah. it feels so good. Yeah. And then endorphins are the pain suppressor, right? So I'm, I'm doing a lot of running, so I read a little bit about this, but uh, that runner's high, right? You hit so much endorphins that... And in, like and dopamine that you're feeling high because you're like I'm feeling great right and you don't feel any of the crushing pain on your feet or knees or hips right so but then it all wears off so you can make those that's my point so when I'm a leader I'm not looking to give someone that kind of boost what I'm trying to do is the other two so serotonin and also a happy chemical right and oxytocin another happy chemical. Those two, you can't just make on your own. I can't do something. I can't just be like, I can't go run and make serotonin, right? Like I do endorphins, like I do dopamine. But I share something with you. I walk by you and I, let's say I see a homeless person. And I say, here, have, here's a meal for today. Or come with me, we're going to buy you food. Serotonin release. Then I help someone, um, you know, and, and, Actually, there's been studies that say 
if you see me doing something good for him, serotonin release. You feel more connected. And these other two chemicals are more um, communicating or like a tribal. Meaning, it seems like you have to you get them by doing something with someone else. Yeah, exactly. Someone else has to be involved, or you have to do some, something for someone else. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I know this is such a weird tangent I'm about to go on, but um, everyone knows, you know, um, the movie 300, right? So, Spartans, warriors, greatest warriors, whatever, there are 300 of them. They, you know, held off all this, uh, all of these uh, attacks or whatnot. They did that mainly because of the strategic way that they held their position. And they held their position because they had to protect the person to the left of them and they had to protect the person to the right of them. And they fully trusted those people. And how do you build trust? Oxytocin and serotonin, right? And then if I know that guy is doing his job, that guy's doing his job, they'll just keep doing that for everybody else until that whole chain of shields, if you're following me on this metaphor or this uh, analogy, is super duper strong and impenetrable. It didn't matter who attacked them, right? Because everyone had each other's backs and they were all contributing to this. Again, we're going on this weird tangent, but the serotonin and oxytocin uh, release that they're feeling connected with their fellow men, right? So that's completely gone in our society. I, when I'm in business, I'm trying to get rid of you. You're in my competition and you're in the cubicle next to me. I want to outbeat my sales to you or outbeat my sales compared to yours, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that way. So, and I learned this lesson over the short time I've been on this earth, but when I got to a new, a new job that I'm going to today, I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to help them no matter what I do. So instead of being passed over for a promotion or not giving as much, uh, not getting as much uh, responsibility, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to help this person, the, my, um, immediate superior, do everything in her power to make our successful team. And, I, and I'm, I'm doing that. And it feels fantastic, right? She feels fantastic. Our whole team feels fantastic because we're all in it together, right? Someone having a tough day, you know, I, because I have a flexible schedule, I'll take that shift. I'll do that because I know how hard it is to work in that position. Or I understand because we're a team that everyone's got to step in once or twice uh, to, to help each other out, right? Same thing with my schooling right now. My boss and my supervisor are going a completely different direction than the research I'm currently doing. But my main goal is to make sure that she gets whatever she wants. Her goal is to be tenure at our university that we're currently at. And she needs us to produce. She needs us to write. She needs us to do these things. Then help. I'm going to bend over backwards because I know that when I ask her for help, I'm going to say, can you edit this? She's going to bend over backwards for me and give me her complete knowledge on how my writing suck. Usually that's like the, the funny part of being in grad school. You can never write good enough. But, um, but she'll do that for me, and I know that. I trust her with that. And how do you get those things? Serotonin, oxytocin. <clears throat> and everyone's like, oh, dopamine, 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 because I want to feel happy. You can do that on your own. You can go for a run in the morning. You can do that on your own. You can exercise. Those are known things that release uh, dopamine and endorphins. Right, but helping someone else gets those other two. That's how you balance out that addictiveness of dopamine, right? With these other two chemicals. So why should we want more serotonin as opposed to just getting dopamine? Good question. So it's not that you want more than; it's more that you want to balance out. So right now we have a uh, 
I'm going to say it's like a fast food chain to dopamine, right? I can turn on my phone. Someone can like my photo on Instagram, dopamine release, immediate. That's been proven, right? <clears throat> and if I get that enough times and I have nothing to balance that out, what does that do? Just keeps me going and going and I'm getting this dopamine high crash, dopamine high crash. There's nothing to balance that out. So serotonin and oxytocin do that. Um, they actually inhibit some of those addictive personality types. They're not types, but uh, connections that our cells have. So you're not crash if, when you're getting serotonin and oxytocin? You do. Again, it's, <laughs> it's got to be in that balance. You can't have completely one or completely the other. You have to have them happening at all the time. So you want to be well-roundedness. Yeah. So, for instance, I go for a run today. On my run, um, someone drops something. I pick it up. I go hand it to them. I just completed the full cycle. Right? They feel more like my, in my tribe because I'm helping them out. They're more likely to, to then go help someone else out if they did that. Right? People think of these random acts of kindness. They're not random. You should be doing them all the time. It's just you're trying to build that community. And we're trying, in our society right now, it's being split. So how do we wrap this all back up into being a leader? Well, I need to make sure that I hit those goals with you, right? I need to make sure that I'm building a community inside, like a, inside the business or wherever we are, wherever we're doing this. <clears throat> and I got to make sure that I'm doing that as well as receiving that. So my leaders got to do that for me, and I got to do that for you. Because at the end of the day, you're going to trust the person beside you, you're going to do it for them, right? And it just builds that impenetrable circle like the movie 300 or that impenetrable shield. Wow. That was a really good discussion on leadership. <laughs> yeah. Talking about 300, the movie 300, using that analogy, that metaphor, yeah. talking about those neurotransmitters in your brain. Right? When you're talking about those four different ones, I was just thinking about you know, work, friends, family, and how yeah. you know, each of them contribute to that and the different tasks you do that give you those neurotransmitters. Uh, I definitely learned a lot today listening to <laughs> a lot of things that you said. Yeah, definitely eye-opening. I didn't know that about all the neurotransmitters. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's fun doing a podcast like this because, yeah, we're trying to, you know, educate others or get people to talk about it. But even just being in the same room here listening to someone that, you know, you've known for 15 years and learning something from them, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, like, I, and I won't, and, you know, I'm going to be humble in this moment. I didn't learn all of this by accident, right? Like, I've read multiple books. I've listened to multiple podcasts. The neuroscience I'm currently doing as my, um, as my master's, it's like, I didn't come by this information. Like, some, it's not sitting in my, I have notes in my lap, but it's not what we're talking about, right? So um, you really have to go and search for these things. And sometimes it is as easy as listening to this podcast or another podcast, right? So, um but what I did want to leave us off on was kind of actionable items that you can take today and go implement them <clears throat> wherever you are, work, friends, um, family, anything. So we and kind of talked about these as we went, but having ownership over everything. I literally just read uh, the book Extreme Ownership from uh, Jocko Wilkin. Wilkin? Yeah fantastic book i think he really really defines what extreme ownership is or taking ownership over um that leadership role or just life actually um and he uses um his military background to to show that how on the extreme end of that what that looks like uh, but 
it is something that we all should do as leaders is take ownership over everything we do. If you, as my, uh, you know, my employee fail, it's not you failing, it's me failing you because I didn't give you the proper information in order for you to succeed, right? Maybe you do fail five, six times, okay, then I've done all I can for you and now you're just not in the right position, right? But if you fail and you don't learn from your mistake, that's on me because I didn't give you the right tools to learn from that, right? So taking ownership over everything you do, that is a sign of a great leader or something that you can do uh, tomorrow. Another thing, um, having discipline. And discipline to me in this role means active listening. So I know I did this to you a couple of times and I'm very aware of it, but I interrupted you a bunch of times. Like that's, a, that's a big no-no, right? I should be active listening to you. And then being uh, practicing humility as well. So you have a great idea. Let's say we're going, we're building a race car. And you're like, Michael, I think we should use wooden wheels. And I'm like, oh, we're not going very far on those, right? But I shouldn't say that. I should, you know what? Why? And you tell me, well, you know, wooden wheels are so cheap and uh, we can just replace them all the time. I'm like, okay, well, what do you think will happen at 500 miles an hour? They're like, well, they might burn up. Like, oh, that's not a great idea, right? So I'm not, I'm not being strictly uh, terrible to you, right? But I'm being humble. I'm saying, okay, my idea is the best idea or might be the best idea, but let's hear you out. Maybe you thought of something I did. Maybe you're like, actually, there's this new treat that regrows itself while you're driving. Like, I don't know, I'm making stuff up at this point, right? But then I'm like, damn, I didn't know that. It's cheap and we can use it all the time and we never have to replace it. Okay, let's go with that idea. But if I'm already thinking, no, nah, you're terrible. That's a bad idea. That's a sign of a bad leader. You, gotta, you have to practice humility in these moments, right? So I know Michael lives this out because every time I talk with him, he always plays devil advocate. So <laughs> every time I say something, he's always asking why or he challenges what I say. So rather than, you know, saying you're wrong or just jumping out and saying, you know, I have the right viewer, I'm better. Uh, it's more asking questions, right? Yeah. And I also think that's good for your career that you're going into, to teaching. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you can teach and you tell people the right way and don't listen to anybody. Right. Think your way, the highway, you're right. You know, everything, or you can listen to other people and you know, you don't know everything. Right. And someone could teach yeah. you something or a different way of looking at things. Yeah. I think that's good. How you play devil's advocate and how you ask questions as opposed to impose your will. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. Like I'm not doing this when I, <clears throat> when you gave that example, this isn't in a professional manner at all. We're just chit-chatting. Right. So I practice this on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's not to be, and I always preface it by saying, I'll play devil's advocate. Because when I say that, you're immediately not emotional about what I just said or what I'm about to do. Yeah. Right. And you take it for exactly what it is the opposite idea of what your idea was. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just you think I'm thinking the opposite. That's it. It's not saying, oh, Michael thinks I'm wrong. No. That is 100% true. Right. So yeah. that, and it worked for me. So that's what I've been doing. But maybe it's a different way that it'll work for someone else. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, I do practice what I preach in these moments I'm talking about right now. Um, so you have to be disciplined with that though. Right? A great sign of a great or a good sign of a great leader is that they're disciplined with what they do. They say they're gonna do something and they do it, right? I'm going to check up on you in three months' time, they do it. You're gonna have an annual review, they do it, right? I ask you these questions like we're talking about all the time, I do it. 
So you have to be disciplined when you're trying to be a good leader. I think that also goes with integrity. Mm-hmm. What you just described. When you say something, you make sure you do it. Right? I think one of the worst things is when you have someone working above you and they say they're going to do something or get back to you or plan on doing something and then they just don't do it or they forget about it or it takes them forever to do. That's yeah, so a bad sign of a leader. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you go, wow. You know, if you're not doing what you say you're going to do, right? Like, where is it? Why am I, why do I have to be accountable for what I do? Yeah. Or why do I have to be on time? Why do I have to be disciplined? Right? It's very easy to look up to people and follow what they do. Even though you should be your own person, you should have your own values, morals, and how you live your life. You still look to leadership and management and how they do things and you're going to copy them. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Right? You're 100% right. If your boss rolls in at noon, leaves at 1, you're like, my God, he gets paid so much money and I didn't see him today. I had a question for him at nine. Couldn't see him. Couldn't find him. Can't get him by email. He replies to you three weeks later. How many times does that happen? That happens to me a lot. <clears throat> Just being in this um, graduate school. I send an email and I am absolutely floored out of my seat. I'll jump for joy when someone responds to me within the same day. Usually it's next two weeks. And whatever deadline I just had passed, and now I'm, you know, up Shit's Creek because I really needed that information, right? So when people are like, you have to hold them accountable, and and in some terms, right? And you might be the one, right? You see your bosses like that, you're like, nah, forget it. I'm gonna show everyone behind me that's looking up to me what a real leader looks like, and maybe he'll look down and be like. I see Cody, he's in a nine, he leaves at five, he's doing all of his work, he's getting praise all the time. I should probably look into, you know, what I gotta be doing. Maybe, you know, I gotta move positions or like maybe I should do some, something different. I don't know. Maybe you'll inspire them up the chain, right? So the last thing, so the third thing was uh, communication. So communicating the last actionable step that I wanted to do. So there were three, just a review, ownership over everything you do. Second one is to have discipline when you're listening, so active listening and be, be practicing humility, but doing that with discipline. And then the third thing is the ability to communicate with intent, clarity, and transparency. And I should even say the correct intent, the correct clarity, and the correct transparency. Because if I give you very clear instructions, let, <clears throat> let's just play this example out for a sec. Let's say you're a mechanic. I'm, I can't believe I'm making up these examples on the spot. You're a mechanic, and I'm like, okay, Cody, you're going to change that tire. You're like, okay, cool. You could, co- you could totally, totally do that job. But then I see you grab a truck tire, you grab a welding iron, and you are in the wrong car. You're doing the wrong car. You just welded a truck tire to the wrong car. I technically just asked you to change the tire, so you did the job that I asked you to do, right? You did it completely incorrect because I didn't give you enough information. I wasn't active or correctly, um, I didn't have the correct clarity or the intent. But if I said, hey, Cody, the tires that you see on the rack over there, any one of them, pick one of them. The, that car that you're working on currently needs to have its flat tire changed. Now you know your job a lot better. You're a lot more clear on the intent, right? And I give you enough transparency in the information I gave you that you know exactly what's going on. So let's say you go grab that tire, you put it on, you're like, actually, that's not the correct tire. I don't even have to do anything. 
It's called decentralized command. You go make your own decision based off of the good information or communication I gave you, right? And then you put on racing tires and I'm like, my God, that's exactly what I wanted. That seemed better than what I wanted. And you made that decision, right? And that was just on communication, just on correct communication, right? So it's, it's imperative, it's really, sorry, it's important that these are the just three actual steps, but there's many, many, many that you can do, but um, just taking those three and just doing them daily, right? Practice them daily. Maybe don't practice them at all and just do them once and see if you get a good result. Get a good result, which I'm guaranteeing you probably will, then you'll do them more often, right? And while you're doing that, you're building a community, you're hitting those serotonin and um, oxytocin releases for your colleagues, and they're going to help you, you're going to help them, trust is going to build, and you just, just go from there. So yeah, that's, that's the end of my little, uh, my rant on leadership. I'm glad that we, uh, that we did this one. Yeah, this was a fun episode. Stay tuned, episode six. Yeah, if you guys have any comments on leadership or maybe we'll link books below uh, in the comments or if you have books that you read that you would like to share or maybe just, just do like your stories of leadership, I'd be more than happy to, to read those. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Mike and I are always reading. We love these uh, self-help, leadership, business, uh, development types of books. So uh, write those down in the comment section. Mm -hmm. We'd love to read them. We can even talk about them in future episodes. Yeah. What's what's uh, episode six going to be? Episode six is going to be what I wish I knew about choosing a topic for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. <laughs>